The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. continue in our worship with the reading of the word, and I'm going to be reading Psalm 4 today, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, sons of men, shall my glory be turned into shame? How long will you love empty things and seek lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful people of God for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry, but do not sin. When you are on your beds, ponder in your own hearts and be silent. Offer righteous sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who ask, who will show us some good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with joy, more joy than those whose grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As I shared this morning as we opened the service, uh, a third of us are away at the coast. Um, Actually, more appropriately, they're probably packing their bags to head back towards us now. And uh, it was... Awesome time for us to come together um, around uh, God and his word, uh, to be unified as a body, and to point our eyes to the reason for our hope, which is Jesus. And so um, we had a chance for our men to hear from each of the men who were in the process of becoming elders and to hear their heart for the church. Uh, You can imagine how encouraging that was. And so, uh, but with that, um, we were looking for who would be able uh, to share from the word today that would allow the majority of our men to stay back. And uh, today, they're kind of spending some practical time saying, what do those men, speaking with, what do they need uh, from this community, from one another, and what do they have to contribute? And so they're going to have a whiteboard and kind of writing down practical steps, and it'll be beautiful. But we have the practical question of who will be with us this morning. And I'm uh, excited to tell you uh, that we have Daniel Schreiner to share with us this morning. Uh, he is a pastor from Hinson Church. Um, he has been there for seven years, and I think that entire time he has known Andrew Pratt, and they are they're good friends. Um, Daniel's new to me, however, he's a baseball fan, so he jumps up a number of pegs and should be trusted. Um, and uh, he, although he is a Twins fan, so take that for what it is. But uh, he is originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, he's been serving at Hinson, like I said, for seven years. Um, and him and his wife, Ashley, Sam, Iris, and Willa 
are here uh, worshiping with us today, although the kids, I think, are downstairs worshiping with the little ones. So would you guys welcome with me Daniel Schreiner as he shares with us. Thanks, Danny, for that kind intro. It's good to be with you all this morning. I bring greetings from Henson Baptist Church. Uh, we love you guys here at Central Bible. If you've been coming to Central for any length of time, you know that there's a lot of connections between Henson and Central. And when people at Henson found out that I was going to be with you this morning, they were excited. They were like, say hi. So I bring their greetings. Um, I've been blessed, as Danny mentioned, by my friendship with Andrew in particular. I'm really blessed by his friendship, and I, I love you guys in, in large part because of, of Andrew. And we're, I'm really excited about just the friendship that we have among the two churches and uh, the partnership in gospel ministry going forward. So I'm happy to bring you God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 4. So, Halloween is right around the corner. Uh, if you live in the part of Portland that we do, in the inner southeast, it feels like Halloween year-round. <laughs> and, you know, just not too long ago, walking down our front sidewalk, there's someone dressed as Dracula playing a violin. And we've lived in Portland, as Danny said, for seven years now, so all my kids just think that's normal. You know, all year round, you're, you're free to do that. But many in our neighborhoods, they're, they're starting to decorate their yards. They're bringing out the, the Halloween, the holiday decorations, and a really common one, which I'm sure you've seen, is the tombstone, RIP, in the yards. And uh, I've been to many real cemeteries, as I'm sure you've been, and I've yet to see a tombstone that actually has R.I.P. Uh, on the tombstone. But I just assumed that this was once a real thing that they would, they would put on tombstones. I just assume that's true. And it's, it's a pretty profound thing to say if you, if you think about it. Uh, we, the living ones, are not safe. We do not rest in peace. You know, we have drugs and doctors who help us sleep. Uh, some of you may have sleep apnea. I'm not jealous of you. It's, and it's not just our actual sleep that is disturbed. When we, when we are awake, we are not safe. Uh, this is just part of life. I trust that when you came here, I hope you wore a seatbelt. That's just a recognition of the reality that we are not safe. Many of us saw a doctor this week, or a therapist. Even in the church, we recognize all is not well. Maybe you feel sometimes in certain relationships, this person isn't a safe person. I can't, I can't share this with that particular person. We are not at peace in our relationships like we would hope. But to rest in peace is not just a truth. It's also a wish. For the departed, we, we hope that they rest in peace. Ultimately, we don't know, but we, we trust, we, we, because we, we, we don't know what, what's on the other side of the grave for, for an individual, but we hope that it's peace for their sake and for ours. 
Is our best hope to rest in peace death? Is that when we are finally safe? Or is there something surer and stronger than death that we can bank our trust in, that we can hope in? Well, let's listen to what God's Word has to say. Uh, If you haven't already, I'd invite you to open up in your Bibles to Psalm 4. You may just like to listen. That might be your style. But at least for my preaching style, I think you will be helped if you have a Bible or open up your Bible app and follow along in Psalm chapter 4. In a world of trouble and in the midst of our insecurities and our worries, the Lord alone hears our cries and He provides safety for His people. The Lord alone hears our cries and provides safety for His people. My prayer for you as a church is that you would find God to be trustworthy and the God that you can cry out to when you are not at peace. You know, he is the one, God alone is the one who makes us dwell in safety in this life and the next. So the title of my sermon is R.I.P., Rest in Peace, because I have three points. Your cry is heard, our God is trustworthy, and the Lord is good. Rest in peace, for your cry is heard, our God is trustworthy, and the Lord is good. I'm going to read again from Psalm 4, just the first three verses. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Did you observe David's boldness here in the first verse? We have three imperatives right away in the psalm. David goes to God and says, answer me, God. Be gracious to me, God. Hear my prayer, God. David's going after it. He doesn't approach God really boldly just because he's the king or because of any confidence that he has in himself or in his gifts, we see why he approaches God so boldly. Uh, Because God, according to verse 1, is his righteousness. David's confidence is not in his righteousness, but that God is his righteousness, that God is the one who vindicates him. David knows that he is innocent in the face of his enemy's accusations. That's what we see in verse 2. But his confidence is not in how credible his innocence may appear to outsiders. Uh, His confidence is not even that justice will be done perfectly in this life. His confidence is in God. For God, the judge of all the earth, always does what is right. And this is what we ultimately need, isn't it? A God who will vindicate His people based on what is right. We all long for this. You know, we've been thinking about this as as a culture and the news. The, The country and our Senate 
uh, almost couldn't be more divided about what was right and what was wrong in the hearings with uh, Judge Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. We all have our opinions, I'm sure. You know, the, the, the president and the Senate had their opinions. The media had their opinions. But none of that finally determines what is right. The Senate can make their ruling, but they actually can't determine what is ultimately just. Dr. Ford, now Judge Kavanaugh, will stand before the eternal judge one day, and they will give an answer for what they did, for what they said. And we too, we are no different than them. They may be in the news, but you and I will one day stand before the judge of all the earth, and we will give an answer for our heart's motives, our words, our deeds. And he's not going to judge on a curve. He's not going to say, well, you are better than 51% of humanity. Um, he's not going to judge based on some bias he has. He's like, oh, I just, I loved your personality, you know. Um, he's going to judge based on his perfect righteousness. And this is good. He is the standard. We go to a God who not only vindicates his people based on, uh, we, we go to this God who vindicates his people based on his righteousness. Again, not ours. And, and we go to this God and we ask for relief. Did you see that in verse 1? We go to this God who has given us relief when we are in distress. He's, he's, David's looking back here. He, it's what he confesses in verse 1. God is the one who gives relief. I wonder what you're seeking relief from this morning. God is the one who can provide that relief. Now, he might not do it on your timetable or according to your way, but he gives true relief to all who cry out to him in dependence, to all who recognize their need of God's grace. We need God's grace. That is true of all of us, for in sin we deserve God's judgment. So we cry desperately that God would be gracious to us and hear our cries of help. Verse 1 is a great prayer. We can pray verse 1 at any time. It will suit almost any occasion in life. But David, he's struggling with a specific issue, as we see in verse 2. We don't know the specifics, but we know he's in trouble. So he asks in verse 2, how long, men, or how long, sons of men? How long will you besearch my honor? How long will you seek vanity? How long will you love lies? We do know from, from David's life, from First and Second Samuel, we know of specific times in David's life when he was attacked by the wicked. They told lies about him. They slandered his name. And this troubled David, right? He, in the case of King Saul, uh, David had to flee his family, the comforts of home, his country. What does David do as he suffers at the hands of evil men? Well, he appeals to God for justice, for vindication. And then he turns to his enemies and he says, are you done yet? Maybe there are people in your life that you want to say, seriously, are you done you are making my life a pain. <laughs> but before 
bitterness starts welling up in our hearts as we maybe think of some of those difficult relationships in our life, uh, people who are making our lives miserable or maybe just inconvenient, we need to examine ourselves in light of verse 2. Has verse 2 characterized you? Have you ever been guilty of gossiping about others? Have you ever brought someone's reputation down, either intentionally or unintentionally? You know, you say to the friend, have you heard about so-and-so? You don't actually know that to be true. And even if you did know it to be true, why would you share that piece of news about someone else that might make people think less of that person? What's, What's the motivation behind that? And consider how our vanity might be blocking us from seeing our neighbor, from loving others. I I think I like to tell stories. Sometimes I realize, oh, in all the stories I tell, I'm often the hero. I come off looking like the good guy. Is that true of you? Do you tell stories where you're the hero? Are you intentionally trying to project an image of yourself with others. You know, we especially do this on social media, right? Try to project an image uh, of ourselves um, that's that's very positive, that's very uh, formed uh, according to what we think people will like. But maybe we should ask the question, according to verse 2, when does this become vain? Gossip, vanity, and lies must not characterize the sons of God. God help us. We want justice, but it may surprise us when we find out that we are not on the side of justice that we would have assumed. Instead of railing against the injustices of the world, uh, we would maybe be well served to look in the mirror and ask God to have mercy on us. David asked that God would hear his prayer in the midst of being attacked already by verse 3. David is confident. Did you notice that? That God has heard his cry in the midst of trouble? How can David be so confident in such a short period of time in these verses? After all, it seems like according to verse 2, things aren't looking good for David. I think we find the answer in a very subtle uh, change in how David refers to his God. Did you notice that? In verse 1, it's the word for God is Elohim the generic word for for God. But by verse 3, David is confident that this almighty God, the God of the heavens and the earth, is his God. It's his Lord. It's the word Yahweh in verse 3. This is the covenant covenant God, the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. This is David's personal Lord, and David knows that this Lord is invested in his life. He has made incredible promises to David, and he is bent on keeping those promises. He knows that if God, if this Lord is for him, who can be against him? That is why David trusts that the Lord hears when he calls to him. We see here that a healthy prayer life answers the questions that it raises with God based on God's character based on His promises. He asks the difficult questions about justice in verse 2. 
He asks God to hear his cry. By verse 3, he has remembered and reminded himself God looks after his own. God has set the godly apart for himself. So it began as a prayer, when I hear, when I call, hear my prayer, God, ends up as a statement of confidence. The Lord will hear when I call out to him. Central Bible Church, call out to this same God in the name of the Lord Jesus. Know that he hears when you call out to him. He loves when people come to him, when his people come to him in dependence and call on his name. He loves to hear the name of his beloved son. He loves and is committed to his people, the church. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Yes, hardships will come, certainly. You may lose beloved leaders. Your church may go through trials and temptation. The world may drag the name of your church through the mud. But rather than seeking to vindicate yourself, rather than seek to be accepted by the culture around you, ask the Lord of heaven and earth would vindicate you and know that God is your righteousness. Remember that you were set apart. You were given relief in the past when you were in distress. You know, I think, as I think about these first three verses, it's convicting when it comes to prayer. I, I wonder if you felt convicted as you saw David's prayer life here. If we really believed that the Lord hears and acts for the good of his people, I think we would come to him with a greater boldness, like we see David come to the Lord, and, and with more expectation. So often, our prayers reflect that we actually kind of believe in a small God uh, who is only concerned, concerned with small matters or local matters. So, you know, we pray for the food. <laughs> we, we pray for our kids, for our jobs, for nice vacations, for, for healing from uh, an illness. And th those are good things to pray for. But if God is Lord of heaven and earth, and He hears His people when they come to Him in prayer, and th when they pray for justice... He will act. He hears. This psalm instructs us, I think, on how we should pray for justice. It should lead us to pray for vindication. For example, have you seen in the news how the church in China has been persecuted? How it's the, the government is turning up the heat on the church in China. Are we praying that the Lord would vindicate His people, that the Lord would protect his people, that they would stay strong. We, we pray that God would hear our cries for our brothers and sisters in the country of China and, and all over the world who are being thrown into jail and put to death for their faith in our Lord. You know, we should pray that God would be gracious to us and act for the good of His people and for His great glory in the world. We should pray that God would protect His church from the way of evil, the way of gossip, lies, and vanity. We should pray that the church would be marked by love, truth, and humility. And we should pray with earnestness and the expectation we see here. If we don't, I think it's because we failed to see the God of our righteousness. God is the one who gives relief to us in distress, the one who is gracious to us and sets apart the godly for himself. 
This is the God who hears us. And when we pray, he doesn't just say, oh, that's nice. That's a good exercise for you to do. It's good for your mental health, you know, praying and meditating. That's good for you. No, our God is Lord. He is a trustworthy God. And that's what we're going to consider second. Our God is trustworthy. Look at verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In verses 4 and 5, David turns to the sons of men or the men that he addressed up in verse 2, and we should listen to what God says through, through his servant David. You know, if we're honest, in our culture today, we value spontaneity. We value passion, even if it's angry. We're entertained by someone going off on someone else, even especially if we agree with their point of view. The advice that David gives here in God's Word is contrary to this kind of spontaneous, passionate reaction. Instead, we are advised to be sober in our judgment, slow to speak, quick to listen, before you go off on someone in anger for the wrong they've done you, sleep on it. He says, you can tremble with anger and rage, but don't sin by doing anything. You can speak your evil words in your hearts, but don't speak them out loud. There's, there's value. This is just practical, good practical advice for us. Lie still and be silent upon your beds where you can do no harm. Again, this is antithetical to what our culture values. We love self-expression. We encourage people not to suppress anything inside of them, especially if it be sexual expression or desires to better oneself. But notice that for the good of neighbor and because of a trust in God, we, we are silent when we have those angry feelings welling up inside of us. Here in verse 4, we see David warn against our tendency to open our mouth and react rather than to be quiet and, and humbly listen and ponder. We can do that if we trust that God is in control, and we don't need to seize control. So before we lash out in anger, consider that our knowledge is incomplete. We don't see the big picture. Uh, you may react in anger against your child who has just left a mess in the living room or in the kitchen for the 10th time that day. You may slander your coworker who left work early, and now you have to stay late and finish up that project. But let's all admit, we do not know the whole story. So instead of expressing your anger against your child or your coworker or another family member, sleep on it. Now, you may think to yourself, oh, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, it's hard to go to sleep if your heart is welling up with bitterness and uh, you are vexed when you're so upset. I think this is where verse 5 is really instructive. We are called to offer right sacrifices to the Lord and to put our trust in Him. We're not going to bring about righteousness with our anger, but we entrust ourselves to a just God and we offer right sacrifices. This is pointing to repentance the repentance that we need. For all of us have sinned in our anger in the past. We, we know that even though our anger might not be hot and explosive, so many of us 
sin in a cold anger, uh, ignoring others, giving people the cold shoulder. And that points to a lack of trust in God. Maybe you sit here this morning and you think, well, I, I think I've got my anger under control. I've been working on it. Um, you've, been, you've been trying some of these practical steps, sleeping on your anger. But I would, I would challenge you, if you feel like you're doing well in this department, ask, ask a family member. Do you think I have an anger problem? Try it out. And then, if they say yes, what are you going to do about it? What would true repentance and trust in God look like? Again, this is what the church is for, to help us pursue repentance. We come and gather with God's people, not because we have it all together, but because we are confessing we need help. We offer our right sacrifices. We, we come together with a, a sacrifice of repentance. So, if you're regularly sinning in anger against others, consider, and if you're regularly sinning in anger against others and you're not repenting, consider God will have mercy, but He will not have mercy on you. He will have mercy on those you have wronged, those you have hurt. David took his feelings of hurt, his feelings of anger, his feelings of being helpless and attacked, and he brought those to the Lord in messy worship. He trusted that God would hear him and answer him because of the Lord's track record. In times of trial in the past, God delivered David, his servant. He delivered him again, as we know, from the mouth of the lion, from the, the mouth of the bear when he was a shepherd boy. He delivered him from the mockery and the power of the giant Goliath. He delivered him from the spear and the insults of King Saul. It's helpful to consider how has God delivered you in the past? How has He shown that righteous deliverance in your life? So, do you believe that God can be trusted? Do you believe that God can help you with your anger? Or do you just assume this is the way you are, this is the way you're wired, you're Irish or something, you have a family history of anger? We worship a God who formed our DNA. We worshiped a God who knows us, who can help us, and we can go to sleep because we know that God, who is faithful to uphold the stars, the planets, also upholds the lives of His people. We can lay down and sleep in the midst of our anger because we trust Him. As it says in the previous psalm, in Psalm 3, 5, we can lay down and sleep and wake again, for it is the Lord who sustains us. One thing that's interesting about Psalm 3 and 4, Psalm 3 is like a morning psalm, and this psalm, Psalm 4, is an evening psalm, one to pray before we go to sleep. We don't need to be afraid anymore because the Lord is our trust. He is our rock, our righteousness. He is our salvation. We can rest in peace because our God is trustworthy. We know that He is trustworthy because He has proven Himself good. That's what we're going to consider third and finally and more briefly. Rest in peace for the Lord is good. Verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, maybe when we considered the attacks of the enemy in verse 2, you had a hard time relating. You were like, I don't know if I'm really being attacked by anyone. Um, that's not what's making it hard for me to go to sleep. 
It's not enemies. But then we read verse 6, and maybe we can relate a little bit more. The doubters come to us and say, who will show us some good? I know when I've struggled to sleep, it's because all is not good in my mind. I doubt God's goodness to me because things don't seem to be going well in my church, my marriage, with our kids. I begin to doubt God's goodness, start to go down a downward spiral, begin to despair in the night. These doubts and questions are serious. They begin to overtake us. Uh, our trust in the God of our righteousness is challenged at these times. But notice what David does. He doesn't linger long in doubt. He answers his doubt with a promise. Uh, it's a truer word that overcomes the doubts. Essentially, in verse 6, he's reciting the, the ancient blessing from the priest Aaron in short form. Number 6 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's certainly what he's referring to here. The good we seek will not be found in our circumstances. The good we seek will not be found in answers to all our questions that face us. Some measure of doubt and discontent will certainly remain with us until our deathbed. But in the midst of our doubt, we cry out, for the Lord's blessing. We ask that His face would shine upon us. In the darkness of the night, the light of the Lord's face shines on all who cry to Him and all who trust in Him. We all too often think good, that goodness is found in other things. When we think of the greatest good that we can imagine, maybe you think of the security of riches, the ease of retirement, the joy of family uni unity, maybe the pleasure of sexual intimacy. All these goods, though, pale in comparison to the giver of all good things. And they pale in comparison to the light of the Lord's face. You could make the argument that the entire story of the Bible is the story of God's people seeking the light of His face, the beauty of of the king. God's people have been seeking that goodness and that blessing of God's face for thousands of years because those who know God know that the closer they draw to God and know the light of His face, the more joy and goodness is found. I wonder if you believe that. David says in verse 7 that God has put more joy in his heart than the joy that comes from the abundance of success the pleasure that comes from good food and good wine. David was a man after God's own heart. He sought the heart of God. David's greatest aim in life was to know the Lord. Why? Because he wanted to be seen as good, because he wanted to be looked up by the other Israelites, be respected, successful. No, David sought the Lord's face because he knew that the Lord was the source of of all joy. Our God is a God of joy. He is the most joyful being in the universe, more joyful than we could ever imagine. And as we draw near to Him, He gives us His joy. 
Yes, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, but we know the depths of his joy. So where are you looking for joy this morning? What do you believe will bring you true and lasting joy? Only when we know the goodness of the Lord will we know true and eternal joy. So go to God in prayer. Ask for that joy together as a church family. For our God hears when we cry out to Him. Our God has proven that He has heard the cries of His people. He has proved to to us that He is trustworthy. He has proven the fact that He alone is good. And how has He proved that? By sending a son. Let's briefly look, just look back at the psalm. It is fulfilled in Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life of righteousness in obedience to the covenant. Jesus is our righteousness. He always did what was right. When we were in distress in our sin, God sent His beloved Son so that He might show us His grace. We do not deserve the gift of God's Son, but He poured Himself out for us all. Verse 2, the Son's honor was turned to shame. He was put on trial before Pilate. God's people whom he had come to save love lies instead of the truth. But God had set apart the true godly one. He had set apart his son as a sacrifice for all who trust in him. We trust that our father hears when we call to him because when the son called out to the father on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on his beloved son because that son bore our shame. This perfect perfect son was rejected so that you and I could cry out and be heard and forgiven. He was the only sacrifice, he was the right sacrifice that God would accept due to this son's perfect righteousness. So are you trusting in this sacrifice? Are you finding safety in the fact that the Son in your place stood condemned? And in the resurrection of the Son, the light of the glory of God has shone on us. There is more joy in the resurrection of the Son than a lifetime supply of the best food and wine. As we sang earlier, we will feast. We will feast with the triune God when He has made all things new, thanks to the fact that our Lord reigns, He is alive, and He's coming again. Even when death comes, we can trust our good God. He will not abandon His people in the grave. We lie down and sleep, for we dwell safe in the everlasting arms of King Jesus. He will personally raise us on the last day to joy evermore. Is this gospel your hope? Is this what you're trusting in right now? Sleep problems won't necessarily go away in this life. Worry will continue to plague us, but let's cry out to our God, who in the gospel has heard our ultimate cry for mercy. God has shown Himself trustworthy in the Son, and we know His eternal goodness. When we close our eyes to this life, we will open them to joy and life forevermore, eternally resting in peace 
resting in the work of our Savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is only in you that we can know true peace, true joy, true goodness. We confess we look for peace, goodness, and joy in all the wrong places. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy. We call to you, O God of our righteousness. We pray that you would give us relief from the distress of our sin. We pray that you would be gracious to us and hear our prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus. We praise you for you have set apart the godly for yourself. So, Lord, help us to put our trust not in ourselves, not in our own righteousness, but in you, Lord. Show us some good, Father. Show us the good of the glory and the light of your face in the Savior. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and put joy in our hearts, and may we dwell at peace, knowing the peace that you have accomplished through the work of your Son. Lord, I, I give you thanks for this church. I pray that they would know peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.